the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, happy day, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and I'm sitting in for my good buddy, Seth Leapson, and hopefully he's doing well. Again, it's that time of year we're hearing things about people getting sick here and there, and it takes them down, and we've all been there. And uh, again, it's even scary when you hear about people out there that are getting sick for various reasons, and COVID still kind of ekes its way into people's lives, and we've seen it. Not as many stories that we have on COVID, which is great, because some of the stories that I did hear and some of the friends that I encountered that were sick. It was pretty hardcore. Others, very, very small symptoms. One of my children actually had COVID and it was uh, just a matter of a few days and nobody else came down with it. And it uh, has moved through and out of our home. But all that being said, I just returned back from Washington, D.C. It was an interesting trip. <clears throat> I just drove across the country by sweet faith. And many of you heard me talk and we've actually had Faith Graham on this radio show with me and with others. And um, my little sweetheart is uh, now interning at the U.S. Capitol with Paul Gosar, Congressman Gosar. And um, when she finishes the internship this summer, she'll be reporting to the university, the American University, and attending there. And she's got a program that she was pursuing as her number one choice of universities to go to. And it has communications, law, economics, and government all kind of wrapped up in a bundle. And she still has the aspirations to do her uh, political broadcast, geopolitical economic broadcasting. And so we'll see where life takes her, but she's got a spark and that spark is there. But I want to tell you that if I seem a little achy or creaky on this, I drove across the country in a Mini Cooper. And if you don't know me personally, I'm about 6'3", 225 pounds, and Mini Cooper is not generally what you would see me driving across the country in, but we had a fantastic time and we're able to spend some time and touch on different parts of the country. Now, when we start looking at the news and what's happening across this country, it is full, right? We It's ripe. And one of the things that I think is interesting in the news right now, we're seeing that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, you're not seeing them get a pass, even by the left media. And some people in their party are starting to rip them a little bit because, again, it's a no-action party assembly is what's happening. And, again, the progressives really want to be ultra-aggressive and go after their agenda. And... We all kind of had this hunch that when Joe Biden got in, he would not necessarily toe the progressive line full tilt. And that's why he had support from more of the moderate Democrats at that particular point. But now he's in there. Uh, the wind blows. He kind of leans one way or the other. But Kamala Harris is making a mockery of the vice presidency, getting attacked for it by both the left and the right in many of her comments. And there are other things that are happening within that party, and we'll touch on it. And the Republicans are doing everything that we possibly can to be relevant. But we also have to remember there's something called coalitions. There's about lining up with each other, doing the best we possibly can to, to put resources together to have the best outcome. We have this great tenant within the party, and conservatives live by this principle every single day. We believe in, believe in individualism. And sometimes in, individualism is, uh, is not just a blessing as it relates to the outcomes and where we really understand the value of accomplishment. 
but sometimes it can get in the way. We we need to understand that other people that are with us are really with us, and we need to do the best we possibly can to bring resources together to push the and box the progressives out. Because if we don't, they will continue to do so, and we will see deterioration of our country. That said, one of the things that Faith and I witnessed as we crossed this country is you have the narrative of the media, right? You have this racist narrative. You've got all this happening with the LGBTQ community and the transgender this, and you've got all this woe is me stuff. And it's just pain when you see the media. I had a PR individual that I worked with for years with one of my companies, and he had a saying, he's an old timer, he had a saying that bleeding is leading. So if you have news stories that talk about people getting hurt or somebody being treated unfairly or some other horrible aspect or something that's going on, you're going to get better review or views and you're going to get better uh, viewership as it relates to that story. If it's something that's happy, positive, something that's uplifting, you may not get the attention and likely you won't. Because, again, there's some weird, morbid fascination that we have as a culture to read the stories where there's pain associated with it. With that said, though, going across the country, one of the first places, so we stopped at a couple places. We didn't just go straight through. And one of the places we were cruising along, and you may have heard the nine about the nine, the nine students that went to the Little Rock, Arkansas High School, Central High School, and they were the first students to be integrated into that school and, and largely into the South there. And this was a big deal. These nine students were fearless. There's a, there's been many books and stories written about these individuals. And it was just overwhelming to consider what had happened during this integration. When you sit down and you start thinking about the time that a lot of this was happening. I'm 49 years old. This was not too far before I was born. I mean, this is all kind of percolated up and was transitioning even in the time when I was young, very young. So Faith had read, read one of these books and wanted to stop by there. Now, again, I don't know if our timing was perfect because we went to Central High in the center of Little Rock, Arkansas at 1.45 in the morning. But we drove up on this on this campus, beautiful school, and took a picture from the front. And if you look at the picture she took, it's been on the covers of multiple books. And the stories of, of the what these individuals, these black students endured is just horrific. What people said to them, the attempts of throwing acid into their eyes. I mean, people did not want integration. They chased many of them out of the communities, did what they can. They hurt their homes. They were physically assaulted and such. And you see it. You heard it. You witnessed it. You videoed it. You see it. Now, again, I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist in our nation. But then when you go down to like Beale Street, we were in Beale Street. And if you've been in Beale Street in Memphis, there are, um, I think... You know, it's a pretty good mix of ethnicities there. And I would say that, um, you know, if you're black, you don't necessarily feel like a minority. If you're white, you don't feel like a minority. I think it's pretty comparable. But what you saw is you saw a community getting along very well. And you saw people interacting with each other. And we got recommendations for food. And we were listening to great music. And we were doing our thing as we were walking around. And Faith said to me in the car, Dan, I just don't see it. And I said, again, you, you are not black, okay? We, we are walking in different shoes. But when you start talking about what's happening, a lot of this uh, absolute just everywhere, and they made it, make it feel like it's such a cancer with our country, I just don't see it. And maybe I'm completely ignorant. I've traveled this country, been almost every state in this country multiple times. 
I've campaigned. I've worked. I've had my corporate business. I've done a lot of things, had family and relatives, and I just don't see it to the magnitude that the media is reporting it. And then that starts to tie in to every aspect of the struggles that we're having within the nation. You hear people talk about the fake media. We heard President Trump talk about it a lot, and he hammered it. And then we witnessed it. We watched the lies and the deceit coming out, and we're seeing it today. We're seeing there people like just kind of skimming over what's happening in this world or when they were factually inaccurate or it's insignificant. So again, where right now we're seeing the heat turned up a little bit on what's happening with the Biden administration, it's a positive that they're turning up the heat a little bit because they're, they can't give them a pass. If we exercise our voices, which right now, again, we're being targeted for exercising our voices, then that's where people can hear us and it starts to create momentum, a unified voice, and then the media can't ignore it or they will become less and less relevant. And we're seeing that. With the ratings right now, we're seeing conservative like Fox is back on top with some of their ratings and such. And some would argue how conservative they are. We have certain talk show hosts there for sure that we would say are conservative. And then we'd say there's some that just have missed the beat or the way that they report on some of the information. But I think Fox had to do a reset after this last election cycle because they lost so many viewers. And you saw Newsmax and on take off and start because people wanted alternative media sources so they could get information and bring it in there. And again, I think it's good for all of us to read it all, left, right, and center, so that we get a good feel for it. But all that being said, we there's so much happening within this country as it relates to uh, race. You hear about a lot about critical race theory. Again, we're still talking about COVID and all the different restrictions and rights and the different protections and privacies that we must have and we should have and what universities and other organizations are doing to kind of mandate vaccinations and such. We'll hit on that. We need to talk about the global economy. What's happening with Putin? What's happening with China? This whole G7 summit, and we've heard a lot about Putin, Biden, uh, kind of facing off and challenging each other at this particular summit. What are they talking about? What are they fighting over? Where are they? You heard that both Biden and Putin have said the relationships between the United States and Russia are at all time low, given our current administration and the interaction our current administration is having with Putin. Putin even paid President Trump a compliment in one of his interviews with one of our U.S. news stations. That being said, it is just understanding the balance. So think about spinning plates. You know, you've seen this in a circus axe where they have the little pegs up and they're spinning the plates on these, on these sticks, and they got to keep them moving. they got to keep them spinning. And if they don't, one falls, and then pretty soon the balance gets out of whack and all of them start hitting the ground, and it's a mess. So when, you're, when you have a nation that has influence, power, and it has value, such as the United States of America, you're spinning the plates, but you've got to establish a sound foundation so you can do it in a very effective, efficient way. This is not happening right now. This is a piecemeal approach to our nation. It's putting us in jeopardy. What's going on with housing? What's going on with jobs? What's going on with their workforce? Where are people right now? We come back, we're going to talk about some of the biggest threats that we face as a nation. And we are on the heels of the 2022 election. It's coming before you know it. So come on back and we'll talk about the biggest risks facing our nation. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham in for Seth Leaps, and hopefully you're having a fantastic day today. When we were going into the break, we talked about different things that are going to impact our nation. And some of the most critical things, some of the most dangerous things that are impacting our country, and we need to pay particular attention to it. 
One of the first things we talk about is the economy, okay? We'll, we'll have Don, uh, John Dombrowski joining us here in a few minutes, but I wanted to touch on some elements here that are very important for you to understand. Back in the day when Roosevelt was in the country, and even when our economy was somewhat new in the sense it was evolving into a very mature economy, you started getting some technology in some ways where people didn't have the, the easiest time manipulating our economy, but they, they keyed in on certain areas, okay? So when when Roosevelt was the president and he was pushing, this is FDR, he was trying the best he possibly could to control everything, right? You talk about the New Deal, you talk about these different elements that were in place. There was pegging that was happening. There was the government control of the economy. And they found their ways to areas that really are uh, very easy ways to manipulate an environment and a country, okay? So number one is agriculture, Right. If you can get in there and you can peg prices or you mandate specific prices, we do subsidies, things like that. But there was a point where we would peg pricing on wheat and things of of that nature. And what it did is it put farmers in a kind of a weird predicament, but also put buyers and suppliers. Because if you don't have the demand there and such and you have this huge supply and a price is set at a certain level, you have people that just will not consume. They won't do it. It goes to waste and what have you. So the markets, the free markets kind of ebb and flow the way they are but allows you to move products and allows those that have taken the risk and invest in those products to get the upside when the upside comes. And when the downside, that's when the risk, the risk is there. Okay. And the next one is financial services, financial services. When you can really control gauge, modify all that has to do with the financial services, you start to see some massive issues in the most recent time and our most recent history the, the most disgusting abuse of power that I've seen of any president outside of a number of other things I'm sure we can all cite is when President Obama stepped in and he blocked GM from doing a refinance restructure like Ford had done. They kept themselves out of hot water and they blocked the GM from doing it. But then the government came in and basically took over GM. Right. So they they went in and they so bonds are are like senior positions. They put them in extreme subordinate positions and gave money to the unions before they they refunded the retirement plans and such there, which, again, there's no precedent for this. They fired the, the president of GM because they had this restructure mentality and such and got rid of that particular individual. Then when they recast the bonds, they did it like a 10 cents and a dollar and such and did not treat them like senior debt instruments. And they pushed them into common stock and what have you. It was crazy. But the thing that evolved most aggressively out of there, and many of you may not even know this, Ally Bank, A-L-L-Y Bank, that has been, it's advertised all over the web. It's there. That's a government-owned bank. That That is Barack Obama's creation at the time and uh, that he was president of the United States, and it's there. And you start to get into where you start thinking about manipulation and such. We're watching the Fed Reserve do and the, the Federal Reserve doing what they're doing right now. We hear all these different reports that are coming out as it relates to inflation, inf- interest rates, and what have you. But you can manipulate the economy. They said they don't do it. They're trying to control inflation. They're trying to balance kind of this whole goods and services and dollars chasing those goods and services. But you see this manipulation that that comes into that place. Other places that have evolved. So there, historically, you have agriculture, you have financial services, you have energy, right? If you can put the noose around fossil fuels, for instance, you're really going to curtail people's livelihoods today. There's no question about it. 
Right now, it's over 60% of all the energy we consume comes from fossil fuels. So if you start putting more restrictions, you start layering out which they're doing, they're restoring a lot of the regulations that President Trump did away with. What happens is it puts more and more pressure on those organizations. They have to be more compliant. It costs more to get goods and services out. So they charge more. And then what does it do? It makes the common man, you and I, at the cost of living increases. So it's a way to control and to manipulate. And they, they, their whole rationale or justification is it's going to force investment into alternative energies. And it's going to make it so that we have to change, okay, or that more investment and greater technology will evolve from there. One of the most disgusting parts of it is when I see states like California that come out and say, hey, you know what, we're going to switch to all electric cars. You won't be able to sell a gas-operated car. I think it's by 2022, I think it's coming up here pretty darn quick, maybe 25, but next couple of years that you do that. Now, let me ask you something. Lithium batteries, if you drive a Tesla, for instance, or any other battery-operated vehicle, where do you get the power from? You drive it in your garage and you stick it in a plug, right, in the outlet in the wall? Or maybe you do it along the street or what have you. There's all these different charging stations around the country. So you drive up, you plug it in. Where does that electricity come from? I can tell you 40% of the electricity we consume comes from coal, okay? So is lithium putting more demand on our coal and our need for that type of electricity to be created, or is it taking the pressure off? And then lithium is incredibly toxic, so what do we do with those batteries when we're done with them? And so there's all this give and take and balancing. You, you know, you think about Newton's laws Every, everything has an equal and opposite reaction, and I think about that in the sense, in this case, it's kind of the same thing. It's, it's like we have to really gauge, hey, we can put these things in place over here, but they're going to impact us on the other side. But again, it's the big takeover. It's the big control of different industry and what have you. We talk about redistribution of wealth as it relates to money going from one pocket to the next, but it's also a shift in industry when government starts picking winners or what have you. But you see it consistently around energy agriculture, and financial services. Now, in our universe, it's also changed to healthcare, and we add technology in there. So now you have those five segments, those five areas within our economy that are, if you can manipulate them, if you can control them, they're going to lead you in, lead you out of recessions. You're seeing it right now. Right now, they're forecasting $100 a barrel of oil. And I got to tell you, when that happens, what does oil touch? Right? People say they don't want to poke a hole in the ground anymore and pull oil because they don't want to dirty up our air. Well, do you use ballpoint pens? Do you paint your house? Do you use paint? How about women and cosmetics? Does it have any oil in it? There's different things that we wear, the, the dye in our clothing. I mean, the hair dye for some of you that are trying to keep your hair from looking as gray as mine's getting. All of those things have a component of oil that's been refined into a different product. So again, we may think, oh, this is not a battle we want to fight. Just look at regulatory dynamics, look at policy, and start to get this rounded out view. But the economy terrifies me at this particular point. We also have the housing issue that is a leading indicator in, leading indicator out. And right now we have this massive demand for housing and such in our, in our state. But how many foreclosures are being held back? How many evictions of apartments are being held back because of the pandemic? You're starting to see this lift and you get some economists that are starting to chew their nails off a little bit because they don't know which way to point and say it's going to go well. It's not going to go so well that people are saying, oh, we're kind of evolving into this and it's getting a little safer now and, and we're doing it. But as it relates to all this struggle and challenge, 
you have countries like Russia, you have countries like China, you have countries like India, you have other countries that are showing industry power and positioning to influence our markets and our economy as well. What's up with cryptocurrencies? So all this being said, we've got a lot of decisions, a lot of things to listen and watch, but our economy is one of those three-legged parts of the three-legged stool. If we do not manage it well, we will compromise our national security because we will continue to be beholden to foreign nations and their debt. We come back, we have John Dombrowski, and we will learn more, and I'll ask specifically about some of these transitions that are happening, and then we'll follow on the other legs of the stools. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Hope you are doing fantastic. We are here again with our good friend, John Dabrowski from Grand Canyon Planning. John, how are you, sir? Fantastic, Robert. How are you doing? I am doing well. I am uh, just got back to Arizona from uh, the, the muggy state of, or I should say muggy area or of uh, good old District of Columbia there. And um, it was hot. You got it, mugged? What did you say? You got mugged? Oh, no. It was, yeah, I felt like it. <laughs> muggy, muggy, muggy. I think I've, I've sweat more in the last two days than I did in the last month here in Arizona. Oh, but, my gosh. Uh, I can imagine. But it's it's amazing, though, to watch everything that's kind of happening. We're seeing some new life even in Washington, D.C. There were more than just a few people on the streets. And so we're seeing this kind of a post-pandemic economy that's kind of emerging right now. What are you seeing and feeling as it relates to some of this stuff? Well, I did see also an article uh, today that came out. New York seems to be reopening as well. I believe they say 70% of uh, the population there, they believe, has been at least um, has at least one shot. Uh, so they're feeling more comfortable. I mean, it's interesting to see though that some of these other uh, states and big big cities have have opened much sooner uh, and with without the uh, you know the the potential. Uh, risk that many people were, were touting out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, people just want to get on with their lives, and I'm finding more and more, Robert, that uh, even if someone has not had COVID or they didn't get their shots, they still feel uh, that this is something that if they did get COVID, uh, that they would be able to work their way through it. And I think the medical profession right now has a better understanding of how to treat this as well. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's it's been interesting to watch. So as people have started to, I mean, <clears throat> there's people that admit that have angst. There's no question. They, they're angst. They're pretty. They have a tons of anxiety associated with this. They're still fearful for maybe health reasons or just mental. They just this is not their thing, and they're afraid of it. And so they'll right. they'll keep staying out. But we're seeing the like this uh, switch was flipped, and all these people like one of my clients is a very large like rental van organization they have uh the probably the largest in the southwest maybe even the, the nation as, a, as it relates to the number of vans that they they lease out right. and in a matter of months they are 20 to 30 percent higher than they were as an average pre-covid right now because people just like we want out and so they're traveling using these vans or camping they're doing things like that but it's um they're out and about and so they're spending money again and people are out doing yeah. things and, and that's that's this reopening trade that we're talking about for the markets and we're seeing um Right now, uh, all the major indexes have hit new highs the past couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, the expectation is is that this is going to continue and that people are going to begin to uh, go back to the way it was prior to the uh, pandemic. 
And if that's the case, that's great. But one of the things that I think a lot of people are concerned about right now, really, is this inflation mm-hmm. discussion out there and the uh, manufacturing costs rising. Uh, and we're seeing it in all of the uh, numbers out there, Robert, that uh, the costs are just about everything. And we've got Fed Chair Powell right now, uh, who has his two-day meeting, which started today, will probably come out tomorrow at the end of the meeting and make some comments. And the thought he's going to say, are they finally going to, you know, believe that inflation is here and that it's not just transitory and what is going to happen next or interest rates going to rise and what's that going to mean for my investment? And that's really what we're dealing with with clients right now. So what So what happens? I mean, I, I mean, I can answer this question maybe not as eloquently as you can, but interest rates, let's say interest rates go up. What does that mean to people? Like if, if the Fed comes in and says, yeah, we agree there's inflation, so we're going to try to constrict the economy a little bit by raising interest rate. What does that mean to their investments? Well, there's a couple of things. One, as, as individuals out there, it, it certainly affects mortgage rates. It will affect mortgage rates at some point, which will mean probably the real estate market may slow down, which is it will affect companies out there who money, right, to grow. So growth companies traditionally uh, maybe are a little more leveraged. They're borrowing money, and ultimately what does that mean? That they're going to be paying a higher cost for that money, which could mean less profit to the company. Therefore, it could mean a pullback to a degree in the market. And we did see a little of that earlier in the year when interest rates started to creep up. Since then, they've subsided, getting the 10-year below 1.5%, and that's where we saw the market start to move higher again. Yeah, it's an interesting time because, <clears throat> again, a lot of times inflation can benefit owners. I mean, obviously, if you have a home and you're trying to sell your house mm-hmm. and there's great rates going up, it can it can affect you in a very positive way. But it can be detrimental if you're not careful. And that's one of the reasons why, again, when I listen to you and I watch your approach, people really need to understand who you are and what you do. How do they get hold of you, John? Well, again, our uh, company, Grand Canyon Planning, you can go com or call us directly at 480-991-1055. Securities and advisory services offered through Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and SIPC, and an investment advisor. Grand Canyon Planning Associates and Client One Securities uh, securities are not affiliated. All right. Well, you appreciate it. John Dabrowski, this is Robert Graham, and I, I strongly endorse him as somebody that will give you a great perspective and give you answers to some questions that might be looming. If you're not getting the answers from your current financial professional, you need to give John a call. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and we are returning from a break. But prior to the break, we're talking to John Dabrowski with Grand Canyon Planning, Financial Planning, and we were discussing the impact of inflation. It's been one of the biggest topics that have been talked about actually in the last month or so. And as we know, the Federal Reserve is meeting on it, and we've got they've got a two-day meeting, and tomorrow they're going to come out and they're going to make some announcements. Maybe leak some stuff out today would be my guess as kind of their perspective. Now, a lot of you may may or may not know the historic rate. This changed a little bit. We used to always say that over the last 30 years, inflation averaged around 3%. Now it's closer to 47 or 4.2% or what have you. And when you hear numbers like that, a lot of times we don't we don't really make it real, okay? You you don't know how to make it a tangible reality as it relates to your life specific. 
So, for instance, we'll talk about fuel and energy costs. Okay, if if you are one of these people that have, let's just say, a higher income, and you may put yourself at a different threshold, you may pull up to the gas pump, you stick the nozzle in your vehicle, you fill the tank up, you grab your receipt or not, and you drive away. So the the cost of fuel doesn't really rattle your universe as it relates to your day-to-day living, and you don't feel the inflation. But if you're somebody that may work for that person, and you have a, a quarter tank of gas, you need to have a half a tank of gas, you might be the person that walks into the gas station, gives them $10 in cash, and says, fill it up to 10 bucks, right? Because you have, or five bucks. There was one point in time when I was a newly married where I went in with two bucks, right? I remember that day. Here's two bucks and do it, you know, whatever. That's all I had to, to put in the gas tank, and I needed it to get back from Mesa to Phoenix where I lived. And I've always driven vehicles that were never very gas efficient. But anyways, it, it's the real feel, right? When you feel a little bit of pain when you have to transition from what you need and actually pay for that service. It's the same way with groceries. It's the same way with housing. It's the same way with clothing. You name it, okay, as it, it kind of rolls through the economy. Stamps, you know, we used to always compare stamps, but people don't use them as much because we've got email and things, things of that nature and texting and such. But then when you look at gas, you look at other energy, housing, homes, automobiles. I bought a horse trailer the other day. I paid $5,000 for a 1995 horse trailer. It's a three-horse slant. If you're a horse person, you know what I'm talking about. It fits three horses. It's a fairly decent. And if, if you are trying to buy a trailer today, you're going, how much did you pay for that thing? I paid five grand for a 1995 trailer, and I got a smoking deal. Smoking deal. Like, this is in good shape, but I got a smoking deal as it relates to the cost of horse trailers today. Talking to one of my good friends who has the same trailer that paid less for that trailer when it was new in 1995. Okay? That is inflation. You buy a home for $100,000 and you sell it for $500,000. That is inflation. Nothing else. You can talk about appreciation and things like that, but it's the it's a cost of goods and services, right? So they talk about inflation is a product of too many dollars chasing too few goods and services. Right. So the, the money's there. It's available and we can go out there. John talked about corporations and such. Maybe the low cost of capital is allowing them to borrow money so they can expand their operations and what have you. When the interest rates go up, that corporation may think twice because servicing the debt may not be a great enough reward for them to make the investment that they planned on doing. OK, so all this is a balancing dynamic that starts to impact our life in a way that can be extremely positive for owners. It's not so positive for people that are renters and people that are dependent upon a lot of other services and such and such in order to make it happen. So what happens if the Fed comes out and they raise interest rates, fewer people will buy homes if they become less less affordable for people, just the way it works. Or they have to buy smaller homes. When people buy homes, what do they do inside that home? You buy a new home today, do you paint it? Possibly. Recarpet it, refloor it, maybe get appliances, you have art, you have fixtures, you have furniture, all that stuff. You can see how housing stimulates the economy. So the more uh, accessible cash is or capital is as it relates to lower interest rates, it allows consumption to happen. And that's the whole story behind taxes, too. The theory is if you lower taxes and you put money back in people's pockets, then they can start to consume. So we know that there's going to be a double whammy here. You've got the Biden administration that's talking about raising taxes, and they are going to aggressively raise taxes. And then if you have this interest rate, on interest rate increase. Now, if the feds responsibly raise interest rates, and then you have on the heels of it a tax increase, well... This economy has a likelihood that it's going to slow down and it's going to feel some remarkable 
impacts as it relates to the slowdown. So paying particular attention to that is important, but also seeing what's going on around the world is also very, very, very important. Now, again, you look at all the different dynamics that are kind of rolling through our world as it relates to the global economy. We've talked about China and Russia working toward what they call the hegemon, right? The king of the hill, trying to do what they possibly can. Putin has has been very dynamic in his strategy, and he's played different presidents in different ways and different leaders of different nations in different ways. Here are the G7 summits going on, and what are they talking about? They're talking a lot about China at this particular point in the G7 summit. What did China, how they respond? Okay, when the discussions were at the pinnacle of their heated moments, 28 war aircraft flew over Taiwanese kind of no-fly zone. They call them buzz zones. They were nuclear in nature. They had subs. They deployed a whole bunch in that whole straight around Taiwan just to send a message. Okay, again, people will argue. You know, people say, "Oh, it's a, it's an independent nation." China says it's not. Okay, the U.S. says they're an ally, but there's conditions around that the, uh, our alliance with Taiwan. Again, there's strategic dynamics that happen around the globe, and it impacts us. But a lot of this is tied to economic growth, economic policy. Currency, currency fluctuations, currency pegging, currency manipulation, you name it. And you start to see this in a way that impacts us as a nation. So, again, you and I feel it. But we don't have to be experts at every aspect of everything that's happening within the economy. But you've got to recognize when the Fed comes out and says this, you can say, aha, I understand that. They raised it because there's too many dollars chasing too few goods. Right now, when you have less than, what, 4,000 homes on the market in a state like Arizona, especially in Maricopa County, that's pretty terrifying. That, that's a wonky balance issue that we have to take care of. We need people. A lot of people are moving here. We need housing. We need to right-size a little bit. So there's a balancing dynamic that will happen within the economy as consumption changes due to interest rates if they modify the interest rates. Again, paying attention to unemployment, paying attention to evictions. The pandemic holds on evictions or, uh, excuse me, on foreclosures. All of those things are going to trigger different events in our economy. We need to pay particular attention to it. So as we kind of roll through it, it's, it's important to pay attention, see who the players are as you get there, and you work it. Now, I've talked a little bit about China, and I've talked a bit about Russia and the United States. Now, Russia has been – what's happened with this dueling that's happening between Putin and Biden, it's brought a lot of attention to the two leaders. And Putin, for the first time, I think he sat down with NBC – I think it's been three years since he sat down with the United States publication or news agency and did a pretty open interview. He was his headline caught a lot of people's attention. I'm going to read this headline in the U.S. Sun and we'll come back to what it means. Says here, Vladimir Putin has deflected criticism from President Joe Biden ahead of the summit this week, insisting, quote, don't be mad at the mirror if you're ugly. What does that mean? What does he mean by that? There's a whole bunch of criticism going back and forth, but that quote caught my attention. Don't be mad at the mirror if you are ugly. When we come back from this break, we're going to define and give you some definition of what he means about being ugly. Maybe Joe Biden is ugly, but that isn't the meaning you'll find out when we come back from this break. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham. And when we were going to the break, 
We started talking about the word ugly. It appeared by all the headlines, and this is across the board in headlines. The U.S. Sun, Yahoo, Google News, NBC, CNN, all this. It appeared that President Putin was calling Joe Biden ugly. Okay, going to summit. And I thought, man, this is even uncharacteristic for this guy. So he goes into this and, he, and they start talking about quite a bit of things. I mean, again, it's economic discussions in the G7. But then the point is, is that Putin has received an enormous amount of, uh, of criticism from Biden and other leaders about humanitarian issues, right? They say he's a bad leader. He takes, you know, he doesn't like it when people talk. He stifles them. He, he, he does a number of things. And he comes out and says, this is a quote from the Sun. I'll read this. Says, the Russian leader's rebuke of Biden came in a wide-ranging interview with NBC, in which Putin also accused the U.S. of targeting its, critis- or its citizen, citizens over their political opinions, pointing to the arrest of the January 6th rioters. Now, again... There are some people listening to this going, well, those rioters, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'll tell you what. There were a bunch of people that were out there that were peaceful protesters and stuff, even some of those that walked inside of Congress. They weren't running around stealing laptops or breaking things or taking lecterns or crashing through windows. They were walking through and doing what they were doing, okay? So I'm not excusing them. But if you are anybody with a contra voice, to the progressive movement, they are literally creating lists, lists of your names, my name. I'm sure I'm on a few lists and I'm happy to be on a list, but I don't want to be targeted. I don't want people coming, knocking on my door, trying to specifically come after me, but that's what's happening. So as Biden is out there being hypercritical of Putin and his administration, he's saying, well, 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 wait a minute here. That is not true. He goes, there's a lot of things that are happening in here and people are, and one of them is, is that you're a hypocrite basically. And so this whole notion of saying this about the mirror here, here is the uh, follow on. So you understand where this ugly comic came from. It says, however, Putin hit back in his interview with NBC, insisting his government isn't cracking down an internal dissent any more than the U S is currently doing. He then pointed to the hundreds of arrests made in the wake of the January 6th riots and the death of one rioter, Ashley Babbitt, as so-called proof the U.S. also targets its own citizens for their political opinions. He, quote, says, we have a saying, don't be mad at the mirror if you are ugly, he said. Quote again, it says, it has nothing to do with you, with you personally, but if somebody blames us for something... What I say is, why don't you look at yourselves? You will see yourselves in the mirror, not us. So that's what he's saying. If you're ugly, if you don't like what you see, okay, you don't be criticizing other people because you're doing the exact same thing in this country. We come back, we'll talk a little bit about the little white ribbon. And I don't know if you're, you're familiar with the ribbon movement in Russia, but it is a way that people have actually said, here's where I stand politically. And am I in opposition or am I in support of the current regime in Russia? And you'd be amazed at how bold some people are. And so the little white ribbon, more to come after this break. 